You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Bob, and um, I just want to say a real quick word, a final word about the beard growing contests. We've gone through November. You have your products before you. You can vote right out that door on your left. It goes to Community Impact Ministries at Schweitzer. And uh, I just want to say a few words about that, that uh, the young whippersnappers, uh, Jake and Jason, have kind of made fun of the elder gray beards. And uh, so please discount them as viable persons to vote for. And uh, Pastor Jim, uh, it's come to my attention, has passed out a lot of campaign literature at Panera and other places, and he's actually shading in his gray area. So I'm going to go for the senior vote today, and I'm going to say I'm the only candidate before you that is old, gray, and proud. And I promise you that if I win this election, I will shave off my beard. All right. If, and if I don't, all bets are off. There was a police officer last week that got some votes over the pastors. That really hurt. So This morning... We are beginning fresh and new, a new church year and the season of Advent. And we're beginning with the Gospel of Luke. And I'm particularly excited that we are going to be going through the Gospel of Luke through Resurrection Day, through Easter. And so for five months as a church, we're journeying through this great Gospel. Now, why Luke? Why not Matthew or Mark or... Or John. Well, Luke uh, is fascinating. It's not that he's better than the other Gospels, but Luke is an outsider. Luke is the only non-Jewish contributor in the whole New Testament. Luke was not one of the original apostles. Luke, as a medical doctor and an historian, brings a great combination, intelligence and compassion And Luke, as an outsider, is able to help some of us insiders see things with fresh eyes, things that we get store blind about, things that we can take for granted. And so Luke, as an outsider, gives voice. He helps people who are invisible become visible. He helps people that are voiceless to have a voice. In his culture, in his time, and in our time, many times that can be women or the poor or the foreigner or the sick or simply the person that has lost their way in life. Luke has a way 
of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Luke is concerned about including everyone, but he does it very differently than the way we do it in our culture and our political processes today. We tend to always have certain camps that are trying to include some people at the exclusion of others. But Luke is for the insider and the outsider. Luke writes with a passion that we might know and love God. And one more thing about Luke. He writes more about the Holy Spirit than any other gospel writer. It's through Luke that we learn how to live through the power of the Spirit. So what makes Luke's gospel so credible? Well, Luke adds his own voice to many other voices. He wants us to know that there's many credible witnesses from those early days. And like carefully uh, others, he, Luke investigates. Luke is a scholar. Luke has done his homework. Luke has consulted many eyewitness accounts. And Luke writes, so that Theophilus, so all lovers of God, may be certain of the truth of Jesus Christ. I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me now for the reading of the Gospel of Luke, the beginning of the Gospel, beginning with verse 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. 
He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the Spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, well, how can I be sure of this will happen? I'm an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and able to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. So Luke, at the very beginning of his gospel, introduces us to an older couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. What do we know about them? We know that they come from a long line of a priestly family. So both of them come from the heritage of the priesthood. Both are godly people. They're religious people. They're righteous people. They follow the law to the nth degree. And both share the pain of not being able to bear children. Infertility is a reality and a painful experience that many people still have today. There's many couples that bear this pain very quietly. And sometimes those couples have to leave their social networks when their friends begin to have babies. I've known couples that felt like they had to leave the church because it was too painful for them. Unknowingly, sometimes uh, we can say to a young couple, uh, well, don't you think it's time to start a family? Elizabeth and Zechariah had borne this pain their entire lives. And not only that, but in their day, there was a sense of disgrace about that that was even greater than, than today. There was a feeling among many that uh, maybe God was abandoning them or punishing them for something. And of course, the, all the disgrace was on the woman. Without modern science, you know, it's, it was always the woman's fault for not being able to conceive. 
But as you read the gospel, you sense that both Elizabeth and Zechariah feel this pain very much. And it's made their way into their prayers. Everyone in this room has some sense of pain or burden or disappointment that makes its way into our prayers. And so it's in this story that God sends Gabriel, the angel, and God is going to bless them with a son, with a child, who they will call John. But it's not simply about blessing this older couple in their old age. It's about shaking things up. God is changing up the priesthood. Now, do you remember in the story when Gabriel says to Zechariah, your prayers have been answered? And Zechariah questions Gabriel, the angel, how can this be? And the angel says, well, I'm the one that stands in the presence of God. If you question me, then guess what? You're going to have to be silent. You're not going to be able to speak until the child is born. What's up with that? Sounds kind of cruel to me, doesn't it? On the surface, it seems like, well, I guess we can't question God or ask God any, anything. <laughs> and yet I think it's a gift. It's a gift to Zechariah to be able to be silent and to be quiet. But there's something else going here, going on here. For the priesthood itself is about to be silent. God is shaking up the priesthood. God is changing things up. Things had gotten awful convoluted and awfully complicated. Do you ever feel like things are harder than they really need to be? When you try to get access to something or someone, you ever make a phone call and you call a number? How many other numbers do you have to hit? How many other voicemails and computer-operated voices do you have to listen to before you can talk to a human being? Sometimes I think things are more complicated than they need to be. Visiting with a member of our congregation this week or their family who was injured. It's so hard for this individual to get access to a doctor or a person that can fix their injury. Things are hard. Sometimes in the church, we fill out forms or we fill out government forms and things just seem to be more complicated than they need to be. And in the midst of all this, things have gotten awfully complicated in the priesthood. They've taken some basic laws about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And they've added 600 and some laws to it and regulations. And all the complications of trying to have to find access to God and to find God it's, it's become so convoluted and so complicated. And so God is going to do something different. God is changing up the priesthood. 
And friends, it's significant here that do you know within 40 years or within two generations of the birth of Christ, within one generation after his death, the temple of God was destroyed? It's a factual, historical event in the year 70 that the temple was destroyed and the old priesthood was gone for good, that that temple was never, ever, has never, ever been rebuilt, that in the days of Jesus there were something like 8,000 to 18,000 priests in the temple, in the system, and it's all going away. What God is doing is silencing an old priesthood. And John, Zechariah, and Elizabeth's son, he's leaving the family business. He's not going to be a priest. He's going to be a prophet. And he's going to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And in the coming of the Lord, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. God is sending us a new priest. He's sending us a high priest. He's sending us the one who is the ultimate go-between us and God. He's sending us the one who we will never have to go through some convoluted, complicated system again to have our sins forgiven and dealt with. He is sending us Jesus. Now I want to do a hard turn with you and uh, talk about an experience that recently our, our staff was blessed with in visiting Mercy Hospital. And our staff is making a concerted effort that once a month we go to places in our community. In October, we went to the Greene County Jail. And in November, we went to Mercy Hospital because, for one thing, we want to bless those who are doing the work of God in, in hard places and difficult places and challenging ways. But we also want to learn from them. We want this to be a two-way street. At Mercy Hospital, we visited the beautiful, ornate chapel there. And uh, Chaplain Mark spoke to us. And following that time, Dr. Jim Rogers, a member of our congregation, spent about 30 minutes with our staff, and, and we really appreciated Dr. Rogers' words to us and how that he shared with us that day about some of the nuances and the ways in which there's efforts being made in the practice of medicine. And Jim, I want you to know that I took a lot of notes while you were speaking that day, and uh, I think I took a lot more notes than you ever take when I speak. <laughs> but that's okay. There were a couple of things you said that just really struck me. You talked about how that back in the day people were trained to treat disease but not people. That really, that really uh, struck me. And you also said that problems 
can be solved, but dilemmas can't be fixed. Dilemmas don't go away. And we have a dilemma about illness and sickness. It's a dilemma that doesn't go away. And those of us who have aging bodies, how much more? We know that. I'm amazed at how I am becoming more a person of interest all the time to medical people. But I began to think about uh, Jesus and the faith and not just about physical disease but spiritual disease and spiritual dis-ease. And I began to think about the reality of how that we have a dilemma. We have spiritual disease. All of us, none of us are exhumed from that. It's a disease that we experience and we know about oftentimes throughout our days of self-centeredness and self-absorption and selfishness. It's a dilemma. And the reason that the priesthood was created in the first place and the reason that they had these fashionable systems of animals being sacrificed and blood being covering was because it was a dilemma and they did the best that they could. But God has done something in the coming of Jesus to deal with this dilemma. Let's look at the words of Hebrews chapter 10 where the writer says and so dear brothers and sisters we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus by his death Jesus opened a new and life giving way through the curtain into his most holy place and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. That God has created a new and living way where we don't go through a priest or a pastor. We don't go through another human being who can never ever fix us. But Jesus is the great priest. And just as Zechariah, the old priest, was praying on behalf of the people, Jesus prays even for us now. And as the old priest would lay down sacrifices and sacrifices for our sins, our high priest has laid down the sacrifice of his self to deal once and for all with the human condition. And with his stripes, we are healed. I don't have any remedy this morning for the dilemma of human disease, particularly spiritual disease. But I commend to you 
Dr. Jesus. And I commend to you the great physician who has the most wonderful bedside manner, who has a way of dealing with us very gently, very severely on the disease, but he knows how to treat people as he treats the human condition. And friends, in this priesthood, things have changed too. We have a high priest, but as J.D. Walt said this past week in the daily text, we are ambassadors and priests. The old priestly line, that was based on heritage, what line or lineage you were born into. But the New Testament, the words, the covenant under Jesus proclaims this, that all of us are priests together. I think of this as low priests in contrast to Jesus being the high priest, Walt says. Our commission is to be filled with his spirit so that we might represent his presence in the world. If you've been to Dr. Jesus and you know something about the forgiveness and the mercy of God, and friends in this broken and troubled world, go be a priest for your high priest. We're to learn how to give blessings and words of encouragement to others. The words that we say matter. The old priest would have words for everything. You know, Zechariah could have spoken that day in the temple. As he left it, he would have said the old Levitical priest's words, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. They had a prayer, the rabbis and the priests for everything, even when they went to the restroom. When they went to the restroom, the priests, the rabbi would pray, blessed are you, king of the universe, for giving us openings in our bodies. Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? Pray over something that ordinary until you have an opening that doesn't work. And then in the same ordinary ways, we're, we're to give blessings into each other's lives. We're to hear from one another and we're to remind each other in the name of Jesus Christ you're forgiven. You know, when Elizabeth is told that she's going to bear a child, she says this to the Lord, how kind the Lord is. He's taken away my disgrace. I think all of us carry some kind of shame or guilt or disgrace, whether it's real or imagined. And we need a priest that is kind to us. We need to go between us and God. And Jesus is that ultimate priest. This morning, if you're carrying something, if you're bearing something, shame or guilt or something, it's just a, a real struggle in your life. I commend you to go to the great physician who is always gentle, 
and is always kind. A breezed reed he will not break and a smoldering candle he never puts out. And you can come to him this morning, this morning as we share in Holy Communion, which is a replacement of the old Levitical priesthood and the old ways in which people had to go to God where literally the blood was sprinkled in, in their eyes and their faces. But Holy Communion is the reminder that Christ, our priest, has made the sacrifice of his own body. That Christ, our priest, has opened up the way, the living way, through his precious blood. And so you were invited this morning to come to this holy meal to bring your burdens and your disease and your sin to him and to come near to the cross where we all stand on equal footing beneath the cross close enough where we can hear the words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And as we come this morning, may I remind you of the good news, that the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the expiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.